I would like to welcome you tonight to our first Tuesday night conference. We are in for a treat tonight. Our very first speaker needs no introduction. I'm saying this with as much sincerity as I possibly have that this is one of the finest young men that I have ever had the honor of pastoring. And that's not to say that we don't have others that are tremendous. But it is obvious that the hand of God is on Brother Georgie Rodriguez. We thank God for him. His at yes. And I want to say this. You younger ministers and you that are preaching here tonight, maybe you're under the sound of my voice. After you get done thanking God and thanking your pastor, you need to thank your mom and dad. Y'all can just stand there if you want, but I'm going to say it again. This kind of stuff doesn't happen by accident. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. Every single time I get up to preach and I'm not at home, I try to honor my pastor and my pastor's wife. They are my spiritual parents. And um, so I also honor, in fact, I honor the entire Rodriguez family. You know, every single Rodriguez in this church, and there's more than a couple, you're a blessing to this church, and I thank God for you. Each and every one of you. Without any further delay, Brother Georgie, come and preach to us. Let's put our hands together unto God. Why don't we give that to God tonight? Praise the Lord, everybody. I think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous. I think everyone can see that. But you just have to bear with me if I stutter or mess up or lose my place. My message tonight isn't what I would consider a great message. It's not very deep or profound. But I believe God has given it to me. So I'd like to share it with you. Our verse of reading comes from 2 Kings chapter 2. While y'all are turning there, I'd like to give honor to Pastor and Sister Mayo, who's all thankful for your man of God in your life. I also want to give honor to my parents. As Pastor was just saying, who I am today is largely in part of, the, of how they have raised me and my siblings. And I love them dearly. Last but not least, I want to honor Brother Logan and Sister Carissa Sargent. God has used them greatly in my life and the lives of all of us young people. I love and appreciate you guys dearly. Let's get right into it. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee. 
let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. I want to take my title tonight from this, this, the last sentence of this verse, a double portion. You may be seated. I think it is safe to say that anyone who has ever desired to go deeper in God, anyone who has ever wanted more, or anyone who has ever refused to be satisfied in their current state has prayed this prayer, or a variation of this prayer. God, I want to go deeper. I want more. Please give me a double portion. And while there has been some debate as to what is meant by this phrase, older commentators say that Elisha meant this literally and was asking for twice as much of the spirit that was upon Elijah. More modern commentators say that he was asking to be Elijah's firstborn, in essence, to be the rightful heir and successor of his ministry, and was asking to receive twice as much of Elisha's spirit as should be received by any of the other sons of the prophets that were around at that time. I believe personally that he meant it both ways, that he was asking to inherit, if you will, Elijah's ministry, but also that he was asking to receive twice as much of his spirit, to go deeper and do more than Elijah had done. And if we read the next couple of verses, we can see that his request was granted. But before we get into that, I want us to go back to the beginning of the chapter so that way we can better understand what kind of man Elisha was. Elisha was two things here in this chapter. One, he was stubborn. Two, he was expectant. For the sake of time, I won't read word for word, but I'll simply give a summary. So Elijah and Elisha, Elisha are leaving Gilgal. And Elijah turns to Elisha and says, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha turns to him and says, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And so they ended up going together unto Bethel. And while they were there, the sons of the prophets that were there, they came out and said to Elisha, hey, do you know that, that Elijah is going to be taken from over you today? Because apparently this was common knowledge at the time. But Elisha turns to them and he says, yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. He said, yes, I know. <laughs> now be quiet. And this situation repeats itself multiple times. And in reading it, I began to wonder why. What is the point of this repetitiveness? I believe the answer to that is God was testing Elijah, Elisha. He was testing to see how committed he was to getting what he wanted. When we read verse 9, we see no indication of any hesitancy in Elisha's response. So we can assume that he knew beforehand what it was he wanted. And I can imagine God looking down and saying, Okay, let's see how much you want this. Let's see, how much you, how, let's see if you're willing to pursue what you want. So they go to Bethel. Nothing happens. They go to Jericho. And again, nothing happens. Now you have to remember that though he doesn't know when or where, Elisha is expecting God to move. He's expecting something to happen. So you can imagine his confusion and disappointment having followed his man of God this far, and nothing has happened. So the third time comes around, 
And this time Elijah is called to Jordan. So he turns to Elisha and says, stay here. The Lord has called me to Jordan. And in my mind's eye, I can see Elisha pondering, wondering, thinking, looking over his past experiences, wondering, well, nothing happened there. Will anything happen here? And I can see the struggle taking place in his mind. But I can also see him stealing himself, making up his mind and saying, no, I know what I want. I know what I need. And I'm expecting God to move. So he opens up his mouth and says, no, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave you. So he follows Elijah to Jordan. We see that once they are there, Elijah proceeds to part the Jordan River with his mantle. And they go across. And when they're over, he turns to Elisha and says, what can I do for you before I'm taken away? Elisha says, please give me a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah's response to this is, you have asked a hard thing. Because this was not something he could simply hand over and be done with. It was up to God or whether or not to grant this request. But he gives Elisha a condition, divinely, I believe, on whether this will come to pass. And he says, if you can see me when I am taken up, then you will know that your request has been granted. If your vision is unobscured, if there is nothing drawing your attention away, and you can see what God is doing and how he is working, then you will know that he will give you what you want. We read that this comes to pass, that Elisha sees the chariot of fire pass between them and sees Elijah taken up in a whirlwind. We also read that he cries out, tears his garment, and takes up the mantle or burden of Elijah that had fallen. But notice with me that that burden, that mantle, that responsibility didn't simply fall onto his shoulders. No, he had to make the choice to bend down and pick that up, to place it upon it himself, to carry it and keep going. He had to choose it because God will not force you, anyone to do anything they do not want to do. I remember a, a while back, an early Sunday morning, my parents and the rest of the bus ministry had already left to go on their route, so the prayer room was empty. And I wasn't scheduled for anything that day, so I figured I'll go pray before pre-service prayer starts. And I remember praying, God, I want to have a walk like my pastor, like my dad, like my youth pastor, like those who have come before me. And I said, but God... I want to exceed them. I want to go further than they have. Please give me a double portion. Please give me twice as much. And I remember pausing, and I felt God speak to me. And he said, well, then are you willing to give me twice as much? Now notice, he didn't demand it. He didn't say, well, then give me twice as much. He asked and he said, will you give me more to work with? Will you give me more to use? And I remember I was pacing while I prayed. And when I heard this, I stopped in my tracks. I said, oh, it's easy to say, God, I want this. God, I want to see this. I want you to do this. But the moment we realize that something may be required of us, we stop. So often we pray, and I know this is true because I've done it myself, but so often we cry out, God, where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Lord, I want to see miracles. I want to see the revival that you've promised, 
that we've seen in times past. And I could almost hear God crying back, so do I. But where is the faith? Where is the depth? Where is the willingness to be used that I can work with? Church, if we want to see greater things come to pass, then we have got to be willing to give greatly, to give God more to work with, more to use, to sacrifice more of our time, our energy, our resources for the sake of every backslider who has yet to come home, for the sake of every lost person who is crying out for the answer that we have to give them. How can we expect God to do great things when we give him so little to work with. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we have to give oh so much, this great quantity and amount. All I'm saying is that if we want more, we have to give more, even if it's just a little bit. I remember one time I was praying, and I had been praying for maybe 15 to 20 minutes, and I hadn't really felt anything. And I remember thinking, all right, I prayed, I did what I needed to do, I'll probably stop now. But then I thought to myself, no, I'll go for five more minutes, see where we're at. And in the space of that five minutes, the Spirit of God fell. Before I knew it, an entire hour had eclipsed. Now, if I had stopped when I was satisfied, when my conscience could check that little box in my mind mark prayer, I would have entirely missed what God had for me that day. But I went just a little bit further, gave just a little bit more. It doesn't have to be much. I think this is something that we've all heard at one time or another. But in Sunday school, I remember being told to think of ourselves as cups that God wants to use. Or fill. And we know the correlation between giving and getting. Praises go up, blessings come down. We give, God gives back. And so with the picture of the cup in our minds, I think that the problem is that we give only until we are satisfied. We give, God fills us up, we stop. That's why I keep going. We're good now. But what God is wanting is for us to give more. So that way he can give more. So that now, now, not only are we filled, but we are overflowing. And now the people around us can be impacted and get what they need. So that they can be filled and begin to overflow. It begins a pattern. It just keeps going and going. Before you know it, we have visitors getting the Holy Ghost on Wednesday night. Before you know it, we have runaway services on Tuesday night. Before you know it, the abnormal becomes normal. Why don't we stand across this place and give our great God some great praise?